well, perhaps the, the, the text that I sent didn't go through. Uh, that's what I assumed anyway. Um, things had finally calmed down after a whirlwind of, uh, of events surrounding our firstborn's uh, arrival. But now everything was, was settled. Baby and, uh, and, and mama were, were uh, doing great. And I stepped out of the room for two reasons. The first was that I was, I was hungry. And so I wanted to go down the cafeteria and get some food. And, and the, uh, the second reason was that I uh, wanted to bring my phone and text my friends and tell them the good news that, that Julie and I were, were parents for the first time. So I sent them all off, I got my meal, and uh, a few minutes passed, I had my tray in my hands, and I, I was going up to the elevator, and I, and I realized that I hadn't, I hadn't heard a ringtone, I hadn't heard the vibration of my, my phone at all, and you know, I, I sent quite a few to quite a few good friends, and I hadn't heard anything yet, and so I, I thought there was really only two possible explanations for this. Either I chose my friends very poorly and they're just jerks and don't care about this. Or, you know, being in a big building like a hospital, uh, the text maybe didn't go through because sometimes there's interference and all that kind of stuff. So I, I just uh, chalked it up to that. When I got to our room, though, I, I looked at my phone to see if they had gone through, and indeed, they, I realized that they... They had gone through, but also when I opened up my phone, uh, it, it was probably one of those little flip phones back then because smartphones did exist, but uh, we weren't quite uh, technologically advanced in our family yet for that. And uh, I realized very quickly that none of my assumptions were, were accurate. Uh, my friends weren't jerks, and the text did go through. It was just 6 a.m. when I sent them. And... Um, uh, he was born at like three something after a really long ordeal and there was a lot to take care of after the birth. And so, you know, in, in, in my mind, it felt like it was uh, the middle of the afternoon. And to make matters worse, we were living in Kentucky at the time, which is Eastern time. And so many of my friends were in Central time. And so when I sent it 6 a.m. Eastern time, I was actually sending it 5 a.m. to my friends back here in Minnesota. Uh, that mean, you know, so that means I didn't hear from them for another couple hours, but they did come in. And, but who can blame me, right? I mean, you know, I should have looked at the clock, yes, but something amazing had happened to, to our family. And I wanted others to share in that joy that we were experiencing. Uh, telling others about good news is something that comes naturally to us as humans. I mean, think about it. When, when the last positive thing happened to you, uh, did you say to yourself, I think I'm just going to hold this in and not tell anyone? No, when you had those conversations, that's like the first thing that came up. Check this out. This is what happened. Of course you did. Now, the reason that you and I gather here this morning as brothers and sisters in the Lord is because we have been included in the most amazing thing that has ever happened in human history. And we've experienced its effects. In our uh, sinful state, we have encountered the love of God. And we have, through that encounter, been freed from our sin. We've been saved from the trajectory that we were on. We've been redeemed at the cost of his shed blood. We have been welcomed into his, uh, his family and his kingdom as well. We have been changed, 
and we are continuing to be changed. We're not who we used to be, yet every single one of us who uh, trusted in Christ uh, will spend an eternity believing that this is the single greatest event that has ever happened to them in their entire life. For some reason, this one we keep close to the chest. And this one we don't want to go out and tell the world about. This is one that we feel uncomfortable saying. We have no problem sharing news about our kids or our spouse or a good uh, health uh, update or uh, Vikings victories whenever they actually come. But when it comes to Jesus, we, we just want to kind of leave that one alone. So for the, for the past... Uh, five weeks or so, we've been looking at the various things that hold our church up, or our purposes, or the pillars of our church. And today we're going to look at the last one, which is evangelism. That we exist to evangelize the world. Tell them the good news of Jesus. Our church exists to hear the call of God and follow him in faith, to take the message of Jesus to the world. And we find it in the passage that we just looked at here a couple minutes ago. It's called the Great Commission. And we'll see why here in a moment. I'm going to read the passage again, um, and then we'll break it down. So this is Matthew chapter uh, 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we want to be a great commission church, one that takes seriously what Jesus says here in Matthew 28, the first thing that we need to do is rest in the guarantee of the call. We should rest in the guarantee of the call. You know, Benjamin Franklin is credited uh, as once saying, nothing can be certain except death and taxes, but we might be inclined to agree with him, but it's plainly obvious that there's a lot of things that are guaranteed in life that are well beyond just death and, and taxes. And one thing that is certain in life is that life is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen in the days and weeks to come. Uh, it sounds like a paradox, but it's, it's not. You don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now because you don't even know what's going to happen 20 minutes from now. We don't have control over anything. We can plan. You might have plans to go home after church today and eat a sandwich for lunch and relax in the afternoon, but you don't know if a friend from across the room is going to invite you over to, uh, to lunch today. You don't know if your spouse is going to get a hankering for the Dairy Queen deal that's going on today. You don't know if you'll get into a car accident on the way home or if your car might need help getting started today. These are things that we can't count on and that uncertainty can be a little bit disconcerting. For the Christian, however, there is one thing that is certain and that is that this mission that Christ has put uh, to us in which he calls the church to will be successful. He promised his disciples all the way back in Matthew chapter 16 when Peter confessed who he was that uh, Jesus said, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As uh, God told Habakkuk hundreds of years before this, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, uh, of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. This will happen. It is sure. Amid this, uh, excuse me, cultural and international chaos we find ourselves in, it might not seem like it, but Jesus' commission to the church will succeed. Well, how do we know that? We know that from verse 18. Jesus calls his disciples to the top of a mountain to to give them final instructions uh, before he ascends to the right hand of God and before he sends the, the Holy Spirit to be their helper. He knows that the mission that he is sending them on uh, is, uh, can be very uh, scary. It could uh, induce fear uh, or maybe even reluctance and maybe even some pushback. And so he provides them with this confidence. He says, all authority on he- in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Push pause on that for just a moment. All authority has been given to Jesus. Because of his perfect living, his dying, his resurrecting on our behalf, God the Father has given him dominion over everything. There is not one thing in existence that Jesus does not have authority, control, and power over. He has, he says here, all authority on earth which means that he has every authority over the physical world. He has authority over nature. We saw that when he commanded the winds and the waves to to calm down. We see that he has authority over nations. We've seen that in the Psalms. He has authority over individuals. He has authority over you, and he has authority over me. He has authority over every single star that is very, very far away, and he also has authority over every speck of dust that is flying all around us right now that we cannot even see. He also has authority, he says, in heaven, which is to say that he has authority over the spirit world, the world that we don't see. He has authority over the angels. He has authority over the demons. He has authority over Satan himself. We tend to think of Satan and his schemes and his, uh, his attacks as, a pen, as independent and completely rogue from the plan of God, as if he has some sort of unchecked power and God needs to play check up, how, uh, catch up. However, if we see Jesus saying this and we take him at his word, then he has authority even over those things. The evil in our lives, though not authored by Jesus, are pawns in his plan to ultimately have his will be done. Just read the book of Job, and you'll see that some of the most atrocious things were, cl- uh, were clearly uh, Satan's idea, but that God only had him on a leash. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's important that Jesus starts with this. Imagine if he brought his disciples up to the top of the mountain and and said to them all right guys here's the plan i'm gonna leave and you're gonna stay here 
and I have this mission for you. I'm going to be back someday. Don't know when it is, but, you know, you guys go out, and I'm going to send you on this mission where you might be rejected, you might be hated, you might even lose your life. Uh, but I am going to come back uh, today. Uh, I'll, I'll be coming back one day. And I know what I'd be thinking if, if I were in the, the uh, disciple's shoes, if Jesus said to that. I'd be like, this ain't what I signed up for. I don't have any guarantee that this mission is going to be successful. This isn't something that I, that I want to do. But when he sets up the commission by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he is also saying that I have authority over the very beginning and I have authority over the very end. And so whatever I send you to, it's okay because I have authority and dominion over it. That means it might feel risky and dangerous. It's all right. He's sovereign over phone calls too. So it might feel risky or dangerous, but... With Jesus in control, we can be certain that the mission will be successful. And as a church, we can easily forget this, can't we? Uh, it, it's, it's equally easy to neglect it. It's not hard to identify a church that neglects the Great Commission or forgets about it. A, a church that has done this, forgotten about the authority of Jesus, is very inwardly focused. Everything that they do is for themselves. There is no concern for the community or for the world. The church functions more as a country club in order to cater to the desires of its members. Its programs are geared towards entertaining and benefiting those who are on the inside. Churches that forget or neglect the authority of Jesus are, and are inwardly focused tend to constantly be in battle with each other fighting over whose will uh, is stronger and who has the authority over what happens in the church, they have forgotten or neglected that the church doesn't belong to them. The church belongs to Jesus. Emmanuel Baptist Church does not belong to any of us. Jesus is the senior, senior pastor, and he is the one that is leading and guiding our church. And so as we move forward in our church remodel, we must remember as individuals and as a church to seek out ways in which we try to deny Jesus' authority and have inserted our own. We need to repent of that and return to a, a robust understanding that this church belongs to Jesus. And that we don't exist for ourselves. I said last week that there are over, just over 16,000 people in Canaba County, and of that, only 37% consider themselves religious. And that means anything religious, from Jehovah's Witnesses to Mormons to, you know, whatever it is. And just a, a very um, uh, conservative understanding would say that there are 10,000 people right in our, our county that don't. Uh, know Jesus. And so what does that mean? It means that we need to see Jesus as authoritative over Canaba County, over Minnesota, and we need to heed the call. And that's our second point uh, this morning. We should hear and heed the call of Christ. 
So once he's established his, his authority uh, over the mission, he gives the details of the mission now in verse 19. He says, go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So now we, we tend to take uh, verse 19 as some grandiose call to missions. We tend to look at this verse and, and uh, see it as if Jesus is calling just a few select people, the super Christians, to go into the remote places of the earth and, and give up their lives uh, from where they have been placed and go off to these, these places and be a missionary and do missionary things. And indeed, uh, Jesus is saying that, but that's not all that he is saying here either. Some will be called that, and I thank God for people like that. We have a great history here in our church of some folks being uh, raised up to go overseas or to go to college campuses or, or whatever it may be, and I, I pray that God would raise up more laborers to go out into the field internationally or throughout uh, the, the country as missionaries from here. I thank God for the Johnsons and, and uh, the, the Ricers and, and other uh, folks who are part of our church that have gone out. Normal, average Christians that have taken up the call. However, when we look at the Great Commission that narrowly, uh, we assume that that doesn't include us. That this verse is not pointed to every single Christian. But when we dig deeper into Jesus' word here, uh, we find that he calls every single one of us to be on mission. Now, to get that, we need to look at the word go. In English, when you hear a command to go somewhere, you assume a destination, right? Uh, go to Iowa. Go to uh, Go to bed. I mean, how many parents have said that to children, right? There are destinations when you hear the word go. But here, Jesus doesn't put a destination. In fact, the word, uh, the, the, the Greek word, and I don't want to get too much into this, is not even a command at all. It's what's called a participle. Now, I know it's a big word, and it harkens back to English class, maybe when you used to diagram sentences. So a participle, all it really is, it's a hybrid between an adjective and a verb. It's usually a word that ends in ing. So jumping, singing, talking, those are, are essentially participles, and that's what this is here. And so here we have Jesus saying, going therefore, there's no location. And so this is how we find ourselves in uh, Jesus' mission. He says, go therefore, or, or as you go, or as you go about your day, as you go about your business, as you go about your life, as you go to work, as you walk down the street, as you rub shoulders with your neighbors, you are to do that in a manner that is consistent with being a disciple maker. It is not a specific destination. It is a lifestyle that we are all called to. And so therefore, we all ought to consider ourselves missionaries as soon as we are walking out of these doors. So then as we go, what are we to do? 
Well, Jesus says we are to make disciples. There's the command. That's the imperative. As we go about our lives, we're to witness or testify to God's work in our lives in order to work the gospel into our world. Now, granted, I totally understand that many of us feel ill-equipped to even start up a conversation with friends, coworkers, family members about the Lord. We don't know what to say or how to say or whether we're going to say the wrong thing, and there are hundreds of excuses that we can give for not walking more in this lifestyle, but regardless of our excuse, the, the command there is, is very plain. We need to develop a lifestyle of evangelism and great commission work. I'm not talking about going up to strangers and doing a gospel presentation, but if that's what you want to do, that's great too. I've, I've done that, and that's been very fruitful. Uh, but many of us, and I would probably say all of us, have or should have relationships with unbelievers. And these are relationships that should be natural, that you feel comfortable sharing things about your life or uh, what you're involved in, being there for them. And quite often it's natural to share burdens and concerns and have it go right into a conversation about the Lord. It, it, it might just go there for a few minutes, but you're planting seeds. Again, if Jesus has all authority, why not gently step into the waters? And yeah, there might be something to lose, but there's a whole lot more to gain. There's nothing more important in this world than the eternal souls of, of individuals. So we ought to love them and to love Jesus enough to at least start priming the pump for conversation. So as we go about our, our daily whatever, we do so with the mindset that people need the Lord. And the Lord blesses those efforts with disciples, then what are we supposed to do with them? <laughs> That's the next question. Are we just to bring them to church or to say to them, hey, go find a church, just go read your Bible and, and leave, leave it at that? No. In verse 19 and 20, uh, Jesus gives us two more participles, but this time they're actually active. This is what we're supposed to do. He says um, a couple of things that as a church we're to do actively and intentionally, uh, whether they're uh, seasoned or whether they're new to faith. The first thing that we're supposed to do is to baptize them. Literally means to immerse in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, it doesn't mean we dunk them three times. It's, it's just baptizing them into the Trinitarian God. He says, make disciples in baptism. This is clear as day that baptism then is and only is legitimate when it is the baptism of a believer. That's why we don't admit people who have been baptized as infants into membership here at Emmanuel. It's to make disciples and baptize who? The disciples. It's a command to the church that we, that we baptize believers. And it's a command to believers to be baptized. To neglect or reject believers' baptism is to walk in a disobedience of Christ's clear command here. And so, uh, based on this verse, this is the first and basic act of obedience that a believer ought to take in their Christian life. And it's up to the church to facilitate it. The question comes down to this. If a disciple willingly rejects or dismisses the command to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
How can we be sure that they will be faithful in following anything else of the Lord? If that's the most basic thing, what else can we expect? So Christians around the world right now are getting their heads cut off, disowned from families, simply for being baptized. But yet we look at baptism as just an add-on to the faith. That's just something we'll throw on. Baptism is a crucial part of the discipleship process. And as a church, as we go about our business, we have to be mindful to make disciples and baptize them in the Trinitarian God. And if you haven't been baptized, come talk to Dave or I. We would love to get that uh, set up for you. And notice the other participle here that Jesus commands us to with regard to disciples is to teach them to observe all that he has commanded. So within this pillar or purpose of the church, there's a big part that what we are to do as a church is to educate, is to teach and preach and then walk beside as we do these things. Notice that in the Great Commission here, he doesn't call us to make converts. He calls us to make disciples. A convert is someone who simply makes a decision for something and leaves it at that. A disciple is someone that actively follows their teacher, in our case, Jesus, and walks in all of his, his ways. So some of the most important things we do here is to provide uh, ways in which uh, we teach not just about Jesus, but how to be like Jesus. It is uh, both the knowledge and the experience of being a Christian that is equally uh, responsible on both of our, our parts. But how many of us are just content to show up on a Sunday morning at... Uh, 10.30, possibly a couple minutes late. We are Baptist after all. Uh, punch our spiritual time cards and then just be on our way. That's not the life of a disciple. A disciple is learning and applying that knowledge in order to live a life that is pleasing to God and also growing his kingdom by making disciples. And this leads us right into our last point, that we need to be strong and courageous in Christ's mission. This is a tall order, isn't it? To make disciples and grow them? How do we as redeemed yet, yet sinful individual disciples and as a fallible church have confidence that we are doing it right or have any power to carry it out. We need to internalize, once again, the beginning of this Great Commission and combine it then with the end of the Great Commission. We have a great confidence. Why? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth that has been given to us. And then, uh, remember back in Matthew chapter 16, he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against your efforts. This is going to be a winning battle. You might not see the victory for a long time or, or until we're with him, but it will happen. And this here, then, once we get that, um, we need to see that that authority 
doesn't always mean everything unless there's comfort associated with it. Look in verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is good news. Because an authoritative king that is far away sends his troops into battle to die and be sacrificed while he sits comfortably back in his castle. But yet, Jesus says that he is here with us, even to the end of the age. He doesn't sit sit and bark orders from the throne in the castle. He takes up arms himself and joins us in that battle. And this ought to, to help us to stand up straight, to feel strong and to be ready to go into the battle of evangelism with confidence. Jesus has lived, he has died, and he has risen again. And he is still alive today. He has claimed victory. He has been given dominion over everything. And yes, he sends us into a battle that's maybe scary. Yes, maybe dangerous. Yes, hard work. But uh, he has not just sent us out to fight on our own. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. No, I don't know about you, but I would feel a whole lot better about jumping into a war when someone, uh, with someone who has authority over every single molecule in the entire universe than someone that can't control squat. That is what he is saying when he says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and guess what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's fitting that we end this series here on the pillars of the purposes of the church uh, with evangelism. Because if you remember, we started our series uh, in these pillars on the necessity of worshiping God. That's our first and most important thing that we do here as a church. So it's knowing God and worshiping him, and it ends with worshiping him by making him known. That's the spectrum that we live on. We're not sending text messages at 5 a.m. here that we just wait for a response. We're going about life knowing Christ and making him known and resting in the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth to do the work of driving people to himself through our witness. Friends, let's be that Great Commission church. Let's go into the parts of Mora. Let's go into all of Canaba County and throughout the world for our good, for their good, and for the glory of God. Let's pray together.